You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. And before I bring you this excellent episode with Joel Domit, recorded live at the Edinburgh Festival this year as part of PBH's Free Fringe at the wonderful cafe Black Medicine on the corner of Nicholson and Drummond Street. Before we get to that, I am so thrilled to tell you that the merch is here. Uh, I am now in a position to sell you some sweet, sweet T-shirts, uh, which are black and have the ComCom Pod logo designed by uh, Warwick Johnson Cadwell, uh, fabulous cartoonist. You should check him out online. Um, it's the it just says ComCom Pod uh, in uh, uh, what is it in red and white, uh, and it's the one that you saw me tinker with. If you're part of the Facebook group, uh, you saw us do a vote. It's the most popular one. Um, there will be others available in the fullness of time, but this is a limited edition run of 100 shirts. Uh, there are 90, uh, sorry, there are 90 left. 10 of them went uh, up at the Edinburgh Festival, and this is the remaining 90. The next lot will be different, and who knows when they'll arrive. So if you would like to support the show by paying top whack for a T-shirt, the way we're thinking about this is it's a donation to the show that gets you a sweet-ass T-shirt. Uh, I am asking £20 plus £2 postage and packing, uh, and a promise to get it sent to you definitely within 10 days probably even sooner because once i get up and running uh, it'll work the way to do it is to email me info at comedianscomedian.com with the subject line all capital letters podclad <laughs> that's podclad you can be clad in pod podclad uh you email me and then i begin a very simple uh, correspondence with you whereby i get you to donate a specific amount of money to paypal with a code number uh, and then that way i send you the t-shirt this is basically me trying to work out the best way of selling merch online uh, and finding that if i want to use a some sort of selling client like shopify or something like that then it costs me i'd, I'd like need to sell five t-shirts a month just to pay for the software so uh, i'm going to see if i can do it in a in a classic comedian's Comedian Stuart Goldsmith uh, slamming down a briefcase out the back of a van kind of technique. Let's see if this works. It's PayPal hacking. There's nothing in the rules against it as far as I'm aware. So um, uh, in order to make sure that we don't run out of stuff, if thousands of you uh, email, if thousands of you buy them, and we run out of this strictly limited edition, uh, the most sensible thing to do, thought up by my sweet fiancé, is that you simply email me info at comedianscomedian.com with the subject line podclad, and then we work it out. Sizes available are small, medium or large, and they'll be 20 quid plus £2 postage and packing. There are only 90 left. 
Oh, it would be my dream if I could sell all of them. It would be my dream if I could sell a further 20 because then I'd have paid for the run and would actually start making as opposed to losing money on merch. Let's see if this works. We'll get on to that. Uh, I'll mention that again, as I'm, uh, I'm sure you know I will, in the central section of, uh, of the chatting to you bit of this show. But now let's meet the absolutely fabulous, uh, very handsome, twinkly, uh, tremendously jaw-lined and uh, sort of aggressively fit uh, in all senses of the word, the wonderful Joel Domit. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for coming, Joel. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. What, Thank you very uh, much. I tried my best to get out of it by poisoning your Red Bull. Yeah. <laughs> well, it has not worked so far. Damn it! Although this seems as uh, as easy a place to start as any other. Mm-hmm. At the end, on the final night of the Fringe last year, you and I, who were living together then, as we are living together now, yes. in, in a lovely house full of comedians, you and I had a being sick race. <laughs> this is the thing. I think me and you would definitely be friends as children. Um, this is like because we just had the same sensibility when we got we got really drunk and uh, Josh Widdicombe I don't know whether I could say this on the podcast but Josh Widdicombe does a really great thing uh, yep familiar with his work um, Josh will be pleased to know the drunkest people in the room are fans of his <laughs> Um, I, that's something I learned from him uh, when I lived with him a couple of years ago uh, is that he just gets really, really drunk at the festival and then just vomits when he gets home and then he's so awake in the morning. And so I thought, oh, I could probably learn from that. So last year at the festival, I just got to get really hammered and then just go home and be sick in the sink. And you joined in and it was a real treat. And uh, I, I feel like for the benefit of any younger listeners, we're not recommending this as a... I mean, it sort of sounds a little bit like bulimia but worse, doesn't it? It sort of sounds like alco-bulimia. It does. Don't do it, guys. Don't it's really do unhealthy. It. Don't do it. But if you are going to do it as we did on that final night, make it competitive and do it as a race. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you need any help, just have a Red Bull Zero. God. <laughs> I mean, allegedly, it may have been something else I ate or consumed. It was definitely the uh, the redacted energy drink. Good. So uh, the reason I mention that is because um, you are, and I, 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 we've known each other for a long time in comedy. We've only gigged together... It's sort of not that frequently over the years, but when I started to get you to know you better a couple of years ago, it became clear to me that you are a fucking lunatic. <laughs> and I, I don't know what kind of examples. Your good friend Steve is in here. We'll talk yeah. about Steve later on in the show. Um, Steve, can you give us some examples of the sort of mental bullshit you two got up to <laughs> as children? Because I, I struggle to think of things off the top of my head. But you look at you look at Joel, and I, I it's easy. I certainly I've said this to you before. Probably without knowing your act well, years ago, I kind of not wrote you off, but I thought to my I pigeonholed you. I went, oh, he's a he's a, a, a T-shirt comic with a great jawline. He's so pretty. He's an MTV guy. He's not like a comedian comedian. Yeah, that's and why you, I, I grew a beard and now wear a jacket. Nice. You totally disproved that when <laughs> all the work I've seen you do is absolutely brilliant. But what I thought of as a sort of a, a nice boy with a, a, a lovely face, you, I mean, you're a mentalist. What sort of bullshit did you used to get up to as kids? On the, on the base over the crash mat, one of you would hold a knife. Yeah, the best game ever. And that is literally one example of 
I mean, does anyone else surprised by this? Is anyone else? It was so good. We called it knifey, knifey crash mat, and we, and we would like. So I had a trampoline. I got a trampoline for my 18th birthday, and we used to have massive trampoline parties. Most people get trampolines when they're 12. I got one when I was 18, and we used to just have massive trampoline parties in my house with all my friends. And my our group of friends, like Steve, I'm really close with Steve now. It's really nice, and uh, we, we're just all really. Cl- None of us really went to university, so we're still really close now. And uh, and and because yeah, you know. And we didn't go off and get to higher learning and get new friends. And uh, and so it, we're just, it's great. And we're all mental. We only realised recently, I think when we lived in the house last year of Comedians with You, Stu, it was only last year that we realised that we were different. Yes, yes. It was only last year the rest of us realised you were different. Because we would tell stories and we were like, yeah, everyone did that, right? And everyone was like, no, no. Yeah. Nobody plays Knifey Knifey Crash Mat. Yeah. <laughs> and you used to take your shoes off and run, like you'd go, hey, we want to be marathon runners. So you'd go, would it be sensible to do that without yeah. shoes? And then everyone in your local pub would just look out the window as you were doing laps barefoot. I used to run, I used to run. I get really obsessed with things. And this is going to come in, I, I think, with when we talk about comedy. I get really... <laughs> if that happens. Go on. <laughs> yeah. I get really obsessed with, uh, like, with anything. I just get really obsessed with it. I go for it, whatever I, that thing is. And when I was about sort of 16 to 18, that was Taekwondo. And I was absolutely obsessed with it. I used to wake up at like six o'clock in the morning before school and go to my friend's garage. And then we would like stretch in his garage, go for a run, then stretch. We'd wear like leg weights to school and um, <laughs> like all day at school. My mind and my uh, Steve's friends, Tim Osborne, we used to go to school all day with these leg weights on that we bought from Argus. We used to put like three on each leg. <laughs> And then at the start of the day, your legs would feel really heavy, uh, but then you'd get used to it. And then you'd be like, you forget that you had them on. And at the end of the day, then we'd go to his garage and start kicking this bag. And then, um, and then you take the leg weights off and then you're like, oh my God, my leg is so fast. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. And so we also used to like run around the town. It was a four mile lap. Uh, without any shoes or socks on because we thought there was conditioning for the feet. Was there any science in that? Um, I, well, no, I don't think there was, but it really hurt for the first mile. And then slowly you'd get used to it and you were like, oh, it's actually okay. But now subsequently my hips and uh, knees are fairly ruined. Um, but we were like 18, so we would run down the high street uh, on, a, on like a Friday evening without any shoes or socks on. And if it was raining, no shirt. And uh, and with nunchucks, the police... Wouldn't want to get your shirt wet. Well, no, exactly. We, I, I, I was... Sorry, nunchucks, go back. <laughs> so I, I'm really bad. I'm not very gutsy. Um, and again, this is another reason why I love comedy is because like that's sort of mind guts instead of absolute, like, you know... I'm going to ski- write down the word mind guts. <laughs> Keep going. Because <laughs> like, all my friends are amazing at snowboarding and skateboarding and like motocross and stuff like that. Whereas I... Uh, I was never very good at that stuff because I just get really scared. Whereas I was better at, you know, things like... Jumping off a house onto a knife. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> stupid stuff, but like stuff that wasn't super gutsy. Like getting them up on stage, for me, I would do that. Whereas all my friends would jump down a set of steps instead. I, does that yes. make sense? Yes, like, okay. They'd be, they'd be doing tricks on skateboards and stuff where they would actually break themselves. Yeah. Whereas you would risk breaking... Your dignity? Yes, going, yeah, I mind, like that. mind guts, mind, mind guts. guts. Okay, yes, right, right. mind guts, Stuart. Well, let's let's focus in then on the 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 approach to comedy. When you were, how old were you when you first thought I'm gonna I'm gonna have a go? Um, I really loved stand up when uh, I was probably when I was about probably about twenty. 
Um, I this is something I don't really ever tell anyone really when they ask me. But I so I was an, I was an actor. I, I left school and I was like, oh, I don't. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so I used to be in school plays and stuff. And I managed. It, I was in this drama group. And I somehow managed to get a part in Casualty, a two-episode part. It was great. Nice. And um, I, uh, my dad was, uh, my dad, uh, cra- I crashed the car with my dad in it, and he was really badly in, injured. In Casualty, yeah, in not Casualty. on the way to the exactly, show. Okay, no, yeah. not the memorial dad. And um, so <laughs> he was, uh, which was really bleak actually, because he went to drama school, like, and he was like this old proper actor. And like I just was in a drama group, and he like was just dead the entire episode. I felt really bad for him. And you had to do all the actual acting. I had to do all the actual acting, and so I crashed the car with him in it. And then, um, uh, but then it turned out he had cancer anyway, and that was the storyline. If you're if you're not from the UK and you're wondering what the hell's going on, this is quintessential casualty. Yeah, that basically sums up years worth of it. I remember, and I was I don't know whether I was a particularly good actor, but I um. I remember before each scene, all the emotional ones. I thought it would make me look more glassy eyed if I yawned before every scene. So I used to yawn before every scene, thinking that it made me look like I was emotional because I couldn't cry. That's very nice. Very and good. So then, so sorry, I'm getting distracted. So uh, it's not helpful at all. So I, so I was in Casualty, and then I was like, oh, well, I, I, this is, I got paid for this. This is ridiculous. So I started to do more stuff, and then I went to London, went to National Youth Theatre, and then did uh, more of that sort of thing, and uh, managed to somehow to get into a play, and then I moved to London, and I didn't, I didn't really like it, and but because I didn't like it, I actually worked a lot because I think I looked edgy. Um, oh, because you had cornrows. Yeah, I had cornrows at one point. Yeah, I did. Um, for I, the, uh, again, for the benefit of the listener, Joel is white. <laughs> <laughs> if, that, if that if that wasn't apparent enough as it was already. <laughs> Um, so I, uh, so yeah, I did. Uh, I had cornrows for like I had that for a play. And then did loads of stuff. I worked loads, and it was it was fine. And I remember. So basically, it all started when I, I was in London. And the, do you remember LimeWire? Do you remember LimeWire? The do file remember Lime sharing Wire. That thing. was sort of Napster. Yeah. Era. And uh, so I downloaded LimeWire, and it was that weird time where it was everyone was file sharing stuff. And I remember you you just collecting things you just ideas and songs and constantly i was like oh what songs will i like and so i was writing down songs but I'd, i didn't think i'd enjoy and i just got loads of music and i remember one day i was like oh what else can i find on limewire so i typed in comedy i just typed in comedy and then uh loads of dane cook came up <laughs> Yes. Loans of it. I've just, you, as you're saying this, I'm just looking. I made a note several months ago when we had a conversation about yeah. this saying, ask him about LimeWire. So that, that's not a useful introduction. <laughs> and again, this is, uh, again, something I probably wouldn't bring up in conversation with comedians, although a lot of comedians listen to this, obviously. But um, because I, I understand now if I would watch Dane Cook, I'd be like, oh, I understand that that's, that, you know, that I understand why comedians might not like his latest like, specials and stuff and things like that. But I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And I thought his first albums were so good. It was the first time that I'd... I'd it was the first time I'm really involved in that sort of stand-up comedy. Like, Dane Cook is a... For people that don't know Dane Cook, he's he's like he's an enormously famous and successful comedian in America who is possibly kind of derided by the comedy circuit for yeah. being formulaic. Yeah, and it just got too big and stupid, you know. It was kind of got to that point where it's like he would do like a 15-minute routine... 
that didn't really have an end, but because he was in a stadium, he just like moved the microphone away from his mouth, and everyone would clap, and he'd be like, "Okay, well, that's the end. Move on to the next." Bit. Yeah, okay. And uh, but you were watching that naively, thinking or naive, naive to comedy, thinking that was like the first comedy that you saw. It was. Not, I mean, I loved comedy before. Like I, you know, I, I really loved stupid stuff when I was. I was obsessed with. I was obsessed with uh, Bottom when I was a kid. Like that was my yeah. massive thing. I was obsessed with it. I had all of the videos. Um, but that was the first time I'd seen stand-up that I was like, oh, essentially what I think probably the first stand-up I've seen that I could probably relate to uh, as a sort of an elder teenager. Mm. Um, so I bought all his DVDs and I was showing it to all my friends and I was like, oh, this is great. And it's also that thing, you know, I was in that phase as a, a young adult where you really get a, a, a sort of sense of achievement out of something when you think that you found something. Yes. So you felt like, you know, when like people would come to school and they felt like they found Green Day. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I felt like I'd found him from America on this line wire. Yes. And I was like, oh, look, I'm cool. I found this person. Okay. And, um, and so I really, I really, that was the first time that I really, I'd probably say that I really loved stand-up. And then uh, I went to L.A. for... Uh, for this acting stuff just because I was like oh I, I'm just going to go try it there really hated it there and when you say like you weren't taken to LA for a job you just decided I'm going to go to LA that's where the acting yeah was. I had a friend who lived there and he was like oh, uh, do you want to come and come out for a bit and I was like yeah okay and I built, built up a tiny bit of money and so I just went out there for three months and hung out nothing really happened I went for loads of meetings and stuff I just, I just hated it I really hated it and it's sort of that was you know supposed to be the highest point of the world of acting and i just didn't want to be involved in it and uh i just didn't like i didn't like actors and i think that was my main thing i just didn't really like I, they just all took themselves so seriously and i just didn't really i was just like well just why don't you just enjoy it and then i think you, you'd be better in this play <laughs> um and uh and so then I, yeah, was there for three months and I, we, it was right next to a comedy club. So, uh, where we lived. And so I just went there every day because I was so bored and I didn't have enough money to hire a car. And obviously in LA, you need to hire a car to get anywhere. So I just, um, I just would go to this comedy club every night, like every single night at the laugh factory. On Do you remember who you saw there? Did you see anyone? Yeah, loads. And, um, and uh, like I remember Chris D'Elia was always there. And yeah. he's like really massive now. Yeah. Again, as someone who I think is a victim of his own success a little bit. It's just like, I thought his early stuff was quite good. And now it's just like... When oh. you found him. Yeah, exactly. When I found him. Him and Green Day, guys. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, But there were loads of people. Dane Cook as well. He used to always pop in and I would be like, oh my God. And uh, then... I kind of felt like after three months of being there, I hadn't literally achieved nothing. And that really frustrates me when I don't achieve anything. And so I uh, decided to do it before I came home. I went to, a, a, same as loads of comedians, I saw an open mic night there once and I was like, oh my God, everyone's terrible. I think I can do better than this. And then you do it and you realise you cannot do it better than that. <laughs> um, An inspiring story. <laughs> it's, uh, I did my first gig at a place called the Rainbow Inn on Sunset Boulevard. And uh, up in like the loft, and open mics are terrible in England. They're really terrible, but they are so much worse in America. Like uh, especially in LA, because there's this wheel of obviously actors who are you know, and I would probably consider myself in that in that in that sort of category. But they're just trying stuff out, and uh, and I was um, 
it was like this in this tiny little sort of loft space and it was a comedian then a band and the comedian in the band comedian in the band you pay ten dollars i think uh, this is pay to play culture there and oh, you pay ten dollars i pay ten dollars okay. to be on and then uh you get three minutes three minutes and then they literally turn the lights off and then a band comes on after you and uh yeah and i can't i really i mean i remember my material being terrible obviously do you remember any of do you remember what your opening line was or do you remember? Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. It was... Te- oh, my God. Um, uh, <laughs> um, uh, it was... So I, came, I went up and I went... I did an American accent and went, like, really mental. And I was just like, oh, my God, thank you so much. Whoa, oh, my God, it's so great to be here. Uh, I'm English. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, did that. Uh, I'm glad to see it still gets a laugh. <laughs> oh my God, I might bring it back after eight years. Um, and weirdly, I think uh, this has kind of installed itself in me still, strangely. Um, that night I went home and I was like, I really, and it was a really cliched, my, <laughs> it was a really cliched thing where I was walking down Sunset Boulevard and I was literally like, after the game, I was like, Wow, I think I want to do this for the rest of my life. Literally walking I, down sunset. It was such a, a cliched film moment, and I was like, because I did okay, I did fine, I didn't, I didn't die. And obviously, again, what a lot of happens to a lot of comedians. Went back the next week, died in my ass. But, um, but I still was like, oh, I really want to crack this. But I think something that has still stayed with me. I just wrote an entirely new set because I used to think that was what people did. Mm-hmm. I used to just think that, you know, that's what comedians do. They I've go used up, up those jokes now. Now it's, yeah, now yeah. I write some more and I go up and I do more. And uh, so I did it like three times there. Each week I just did new stuff, just wrote like a new five minutes, whatever. And then I got back to the UK. Sorry, this story has become un- unbelievably long. Um, I apologise. Uh, but uh, And got back to the UK. I knew Luke Tolson because I'd yeah. done a gig with him. Uh, I'd done a play with him, sorry. And so I called him up. I mean, he'd just won the Hackney New Act competition. So I, yes. I, I, his, his, uh, he was on the, the internet lots when I typed in open mic. And um, uh, so I called him up. And, I, and, and the day I got back from America, I went for coffee with him. And he wrote me a list of gigs that I should do. And that included like Crouch End and blah, 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 the King's Head and all of them, loads and loads. We'll and loads be of giving them. out Luke Toulson's email at the end of the episode <laughs> so that everyone can pester him. And he, he the, to this day, this is the best advice I ever got. And he said, uh, don't wait for people to give you gigs. Just turn up. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And so that night I just went to a gig. I, I went home, I called all these people, booked in gigs, which is obviously in six months in advance, and then went to a gig that night what i asked if i could get on and uh, they let me on luckily and then what i would do this is mental when i think about it now i would i would uh i'd print out a map of london from google and then go on timeouts and there'd be loads of listings in timeout that don't do it anymore but the listings that had the most names on them for comedy would obviously be an open mic night so it'd have a list of loads and loads of comedians be like okay that's open mic so i'd list where where that will put there that was on the map mm-hmm. pinpoint it and then put what time it starts and then i'd put like sort of about five of them on the map and then i'd go to the first one that starts at earliest ask yeah. if i could get on there and if they said no i'd go to the next one if they said no i'd go to the that next one that is a very if i said no i'd go to the next one until if that's a really knifey knifey crash mat approach yeah. to <laughs> like getting completely absorbed and obsessed yeah. with the thing and throwing yourself at it and if anything it's it's how you meet your generation i think that's really important 
to sort of meet your class of comics and and uh, getting people to vouch for you and say, no, he's good, let him on. Mm-hmm. Someone didn't turn up, let him on. And then, and then slowly, I, I really, it didn't take long to, for me to be gigging every night. I just started gigging every night. I, I had a tiny bit of money left over from the acting stuff and I stopped doing that pretty much immediately. I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. And uh, I um, used to just go and do as many gigs. And I heard that Jimmy Carr had done like 300 gigs in his first year. So I was like, I'm going to try and beat that. And, uh, um, and so I, and I, did, I did a 311 gigs in my first year. And so I was just like doubling. And I think I, was just, I became known as the person who does as many as possible. Presumably, like a lot of your other obsessions, eventually you kind of burnt them out. That's the weird thing, but yeah. comedy stuck. It's the only thing that stuck. But I think it's because it constantly morphs into different things, you know? <laughs> like, you can, uh, you know, become good. Uh, I, I, also, I feel like I, I could potentially be good at it. It's the only thing I've ever done where if I really feel like I try hard enough, I could be okay at it. Whereas, like, Taekwondo, I just haven't... <laughs> I just my my hips have never been flexible enough, Stuart. <laughs> so I just knew that I was no, and I'm just don't like conflict, so I was never going to be good at it. And the same with like skateboarding and snowboarding and motocross and all these other things I was obsessed with for like six months. I would always get to it. I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to be good at this. Yeah. Uh, whereas comedy, I was like, oh, I think if I if I really try at this, I think I could be like not shit. <laughs> So this is Joel Domit. What a lovely guy. I mean, uh, I, I think I mentioned in this show that uh, I had an ale beforehand. I, I don't, I'm not an ale drinker. I find it too pungent, but I'm fairly sure I may have had a cider before the show. Uh, so relaxed was I that uh, that Joel was coming on it. Uh, I, I don't think that affected the quality of the interview, but maybe you could tweet at ComComPod with the hashtag smashed if you uh, if you thought that it, uh, it contributed or degraded any quality of my interviewing. Um, we'll get back to more from Joel in a second. I mean, he's a fantastic comic. I really urge you to check out uh, his live stuff. Uh, you can go to joeldomit.com with uh, two M's, two T's and a dot .com uh, to find out where he is in the world and what he's up to. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter and you can almost certainly send him pictures of your boobs on Snapchat or Christ knows Bebo. What, what do the young people use these days? I've got literally no idea. So uh, more from Joel momentarily, but I, I thank you to Joel for coming on the show. I really enjoyed it. And I think he was very honest about all the tricksy lies he get up to. He, he gets up to, forgive me. Um, I, I think he, uh, we had a really good conversation about it. I mean, it is, it, it's a really interesting topic. How honest does your stuff have to be? And when you're telling an audience that it's honest and genuinely true, do they take that at face value? I don't know if they do. And should that affect it? Should that affect how you write stuff? I, I, I personally try and just tell the truth on stage. But my idea of the truth is probably it has a sort of a wandering element to it where I'm like, oh, yes, but it illuminates uh, a greater truth. So therefore it's true. Would comedy shows stand up in court? Do they have to? Is that in anyone's interest if they do? Who knows? Um, More from Joel in just a second. 
A uh, couple of things. Uh, now, listen, advertising. Finn Taylor, uh, a friend of the show, a friend of mine, and a very, very excellent comic, is doing a tour. And it's his first tour, and he's doing 90 minutes because he's an absolute legend. Uh, so he is going to be on the 9th of October. It's coming up very soon. The Bloomsbury Studio in London on the 9th of October. On the 10th of October, he's at the Junction in Cambridge. The 15th of October, the White Bear in Bristol. Brilliant venue there. The 22nd of October, uh, the other side in Brighton. The 29th of October, the Crumbling Cookie in Leicester. And he's going to be all the way up in Stockton at the Ark on the 14th of November. You can get more details from fintaylor.com. That's Finn with one N, fintaylor.com. I heartily recommend Finn. I'll be getting him on this show uh, very soon. And uh, he, there's also some other little uh, tricksy projects and bits and bobs I, I, that I'm talking to him about. I think you'll remember uh, I mentioned his uh, his downloadable album some episodes ago. I forget where that's available from. I'm sure you can see a link at fintaylor.com. But I, I heartily recommend you go and see Finn. He's a worker. He's funny. He's putting the hours in and we're going to be hearing a lot more from him. So please do go and see him live. Thank you, everyone that tweeted me with either drip feed or spaff, a couple of little hashtags. The, um, the, I have to say, you, it was almost 50-50. I think spaff just slightly called it. There were lots of people that know me well going, drip feed, Stu, you've got a baby coming out. <laughs> There's going to be a baby, drip feed. Um, but a lot of you were like, I love it, I love it, spaff. So um, what we've decided to do with the LA, what we, I always refer to we, it's basically me, and Nathan does what he's bloody told. <laughs> um, what I've decided to do is I'm going to release... It, 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 there are four interviews from uh, from LA, from the podcast festival, but uh, it makes for six episodes because the Jimmy Pardo one and the Todd Glass one are both about an hour and 50 long. And I, and I think they've got every right to be. There's a, those guys have been going a long time. They've got a lot to say and they were, they were very open. I think with all of the LA ones, those two in particular... Um, they hadn't heard of the show beforehand. I kind of met them at various gigs and said, hey, do you want to do this thing? And they'd gone like, yeah, I can spend an hour. And then I was very pleased that in both cases they were like, oh, yeah, sure, we can keep going. Um, I think that's how people have to sort of protect themselves these days. And it's very nice to, to think that they enjoyed themselves sufficiently to spend some more time with me. So what we're going to do is next week I'm going to release two interviews over three episodes. The following week I'm going to release two episodes over three interviews. So it's kind of, it's a, it's a drip spaff. I really regret inventing that word. That's not a good word. Um, so that's all coming out. Now, two very exciting things. One I've already mentioned. Uh, one is the T-shirts, limited edition T-shirts. There are 90 remaining uh, black T-shirts available in small, medium or large with Warwick Johnson Cadwell's uh, brilliant ComCom pod device uh, on them. And that way you can wear them and people won't know what you're talking about. And you can see other ComCom pod fans and people will come up and perhaps press money into your hands. Can we do that? No, that's insane. But uh, maybe you can go up and say, so if you see someone wearing a, a ComCom pod T-shirt, just go up and shake their hand and just say the words something cool. They'll know what you mean, unless they haven't heard this specific episode, in which case they'll think you're a freak. I'm fine with that. Um, so that's the score. You can get them by emailing me for this strictly limited edition as we try and hack our way around PayPal and try and avoid paying any extra fees. I mean, should I be saying this on the show? I don't know. I, I don't think it's illegal. Maybe they'll email me and say, that's not how you're supposed to use it. We'll find out in due course, I'm sure. But there are 90 available. So email info at comedianscomedian.com with podclad in the subject line and we will begin a, a short and simple conversation whereby you end up with some merch and I end up with 20 quid plus two quid for postage and packing. Get stuck into that. And the final thing is I have finally worked out a method of allowing you to make a monthly payment, a monthly subscription payment to the show. Um, I know many of you, I, I get sort of two or three a month. That doesn't sound like many, but we've been going for years. Um, 
people try and they tick the box on the PayPal form. You, you're so kind when you make donations by hitting the PayPal donate button at comedianscomedian.com. And it gives you the option to tick a box to make a recurring payment. And it never, never works. And you and me both end up with countless emails saying, this hasn't worked, we'll try again. And I'm sure if you're like me, then you uh, you see that email and you just delete it and go, fine, we'll email me again when you try it again. And that process goes on forever. So we have an alternate method. You can still donate via the PayPal button if you like the show, if you enjoy it, if you want to support it, if you want me to be able to go further afield and bring back weird and wonderful people that you've never heard of, but that you should have. Um, then uh, you can you can flatter me with your patronage uh, by clicking the PayPal button. Or now, thanks to the people at Moonclerk, I'm going to go with the American pronunciation, uh, there is now on the donate page, so it's, it's not the donate button on the main site. We'll, we'll tidy all this up by the time you hear this. It will or will not be tidied. Um, but if you actually choose the donate page, comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate, uh, that will take you to a page which explains the options and you can click on the moon click thing and then you can set up a regular monthly subscription and there are various levels available to you for for a pound a month you can be a, a legend for two pounds a month you can be a myth for three pounds a month uh, you can be a super beowulf <laughs> i think for five pounds a month it says are you my dad or that maybe even be 10 pounds a month and for a hundred pounds a month you can become the Vortex. <laughs> I just threw that up there uh, because maybe some of you are squillionaires and you want to do that sort of thing. I mean, I'll be amazed if anyone does it. If they do, I'll think of some sort of resounding uh, gift for them or punishment for myself. Um, but that's it. So you can go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate and set up a monthly subscription. Or you can email me info at comedianscomedian.com with podclad in the subject if you would like to get one of our limited edition T-shirts. That's all for now. It was a long one, I grant you. But let's get back to the fabulous Joel Domit. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You said to me the other day that you and Steve had been, uh, and I want to to talk about the the way that last year changed your writing practice. Yeah, yeah. So to put that in context, you were saying the other night that you and Steve had gone back and looked at all of your different years of hour-long shows. Yeah. So if we can, let's just to make the most use of our time, let's fast forward to that. What was your first hour here at Edinburgh? And... How did they? How did the, the consequent hours relate to one another? I think uh, the first hour was, uh, like most people, it was sort of a combination of your your sort of material that you've got. Uh, I'd been going about four years, and it was two thousand and eleven. 
and um, I, I luckily just an amazing thing happened to me, like an amazing story. Uh, I don't think I was a really a sort of storytelling comic at that point. I was uh, especially not long, sort of Edinburgh show wise. Uh, I thought I was probably just going to do some stories and then end it. That was my idea. But then I, I had sort of a, a funny thing happen to me where I, I interviewed this girl on this TV show and um, she was she was really attractive. And then she invited me to Vegas for her birthday. So I went. And uh, again, this is a thing that I'm realizing about me is that most people just wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> like I go, I like I am a, I'm very much a yes man. And so I went to Vegas and it was insane. I thought there was going to be loads of people there. But it turned out there was like five of her closest friends and me. And I think they were all like, I didn't think you were going to come. <laughs> and... Uh, and ended up, ended up, it was insane, like insane. She, and uh, we had like a private jet from Vegas to LA. We ended up having breakfast with Usher. It was weird. And I was embroiled in this crazy thing where I was like, I don't really know I'm here. And uh, I became sort of that, um, you know, I hate to say the phrase, but the gay best friend where I was just kind of like, I really wanted to, you know, for her to like me, but I didn't really, it wasn't really. And anyway, so that whole thing happened. And I was sending my agent at the time, I was sending. Uh, emails every day. I was like, oh my God, today I had breakfast with Usher. <laughs> and then at the end of the, when I came home, she was like, you need to make that into an Edinburgh show. It's amazing. And so I did. And uh, then, you know, linked the tangents with other material throughout the show. Okay. And that, that was really, really lucky, I think, that that happened because that gave me a real thirst and love for storytelling you shows. You really like making shows. It's very hard to imagine you doing... It's entirely within your power, but yeah. I can't imagine coming up one year and, and, and me saying, so what's your show this year? And you go, oh, it's just a load of jokes. Because yeah. you really enjoy and kind of you find the process very invigorating yeah. of going, this is the whole story. I just love it. I, I love stories. And that story, and you'll see where I'm going with this yeah. in a minute, but that story was a true story. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Did you, did you only do true details of that story on stage? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I elaborated a little bit, but um, but it was it was pretty much true. And then, um, and this is the uh, like we were saying, the process of the Edinburgh shows really. So the second one was Nunchuck, and that was true with in its base. It was Nunchuck Silver Medalist. Nunchuck Silver Medalist, two thousand and two. Yeah, and that was about me being a nunchuck person back in the school with the taekwondo and stuff. And it's about this bully who. Um, who got back in contact with me, which he did. And, but it was that that happened, and then I elaborated massively on it. Yes. Um, and, and so, in a way, that gave me a thirst for lying. Go on. Um, if, if, um, for the benefit of the listener, everyone in the room just leant forward. <laughs> Go, it gave me a real thirst for lying. And, uh, and then my next show... Um, I felt like it was a real step up. And, and also the, what that show, the Nunchuck Silver Medalist, gave me a thirst for. If the first show gave me a thirst for storytelling in general, I think Nunchuck gave me a thirst for a really big ending, like a really good feeling ending. Yes. An ending that sort of, I like to think that the end of my show is everyone just goes, yay! Yes. Yeah, that's the yeah, it's, show. It's narratively satisfying. Yeah, it's exactly. not just the end of the story all of the threads are drawn together exactly. in a way that you're very, very good at doing. You draw all these disparate threads yeah. and you go, ta-da, that's it. And that's, for me, the enjoyment of it now. 
like that. I so I love yes. I love that thing of like tying together all these tiny little details and then sort of wrapping it all up and it feeling like a perfect little what, what things are you, what what instincts are you following in order to given that you're someone who's very very good at tying those threads together and as we've as we will continue to discover you can be uh, generous with the truth yeah in order to make it work so what kind of are you someone that reads books on story structure or are you just following an instinct for what will be satisfying it's a bit of both really um i do like sort of reading a book or li- i listen to them i listen to books and um yeah. <laughs> whilst, whilst, <laughs> whilst, whilst driving yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. um but uh i like sort of i'm very interested in that sort of stuff but it is it's also an instinct i think you, you kind of in previews and things you go it, it it's as simple as you have a bit and then when people go ah oh, or oh, then you're like yes that's in sweet i've got them and okay you uh, sort of so you're working reflexively with like your audience makes some sort of a noise <laughs> and that's like i mean that's one of the one of those clown things is anytime someone laughs do it again. Yeah, yeah, do you yeah. Know what I mean? And you're almost going for any time they react audibly. Yeah. And I, I mean, we're using that in a very blunt way, but they react audibly and you go, I'm onto something. So you it's, dig further into that. So it was, it, what was fascinating about the next show was um, th- that bit's when it, it, it li- I, the lies became worse. Um, I feel like I'm in a fraud case. Uh, um, <laughs> I feel like I'm about to go. Oh we my are, God. <laughs> you realise this is being recorded. <laughs> and um, so I... And this is, this is the interesting thing with this show, was uh, I knew that I wanted a big ending because of what happened in Nunchuck. So I was like, I think I want to get my band back together that I was in when I was younger, when I was about sort of 14 or 15. And, uh, and in fact, that was a lie. We were 16. So, um, so uh, I wanted to get because I thought that that's in its, it's something about a big ending there. Getting the band back There's together, something is, satisfying yeah. about that. And uh, and so I spoke to Steve about it. Now, me and Steve went to school together. We probably saw each other like once or twice a year at Christmas and stuff like that. Didn't used to speak on the phone or anything like that. And uh, the whole show was about me getting my band back together. And I I, I spoke to Steve about it, but he wasn't actually in my band, which is going to break so many hearts. Yeah. Um, but Steve is a musician now, and he's in my group of friends and knows the band, and it's all and there's photos of us when we were younger, so that makes that relevant. And so, so you can put them on a screen and go, "This is the truth of this the story." Is, exactly. Yeah. And but the beautiful thing with that whole story is that and the, the for the show what happened with the show was that it was about me trying to get my band back together and they were like oh yes let's do it let's do it and then they all end up saying no and then steve comes out at the end and everyone loses their shit and it's great because he's got a guitar and it's everything and we play papa roach last resort and then uh, i crowd surf and we leave so it the, was a genuinely incredible show thank I mean, you it mate. really was it thank tore you. the festival apart last year i was so, so and it was such fun like I think fun is such an important part of it for me. I don't want to sort of derail it too much from this, but like, and I think a lot of people listening will agree with this. Like, the more I enjoy it, the better I am as a comedian. And a lot of people, it doesn't, you don't have to be enjoy, enjoying it. It's, but I really, I really have to be enjoying it. And I genuinely love comedy. I think you two too. And it's really nice that we have these conversations where we love comedy. I love it and I really love doing it. And it makes me really happy to do it. And, and, but if I'm enjoying myself, I have so much of a better gig. And the problem with it is, and that's what's hard with Edinburgh, 
is I really love the process of writing. So new material I enjoy way more than a show that I've written a long time ago or like I've drilled into the ground. So that's why Edinburgh is hard because you kind of get to that point where you're like, it feels a bit stagnant now and it's not new anymore. And so I have to try and constantly find ways of trying to make it okay. new and exciting for me to keep it okay. fresh. Just while we're on the show, on the last year's show, which was called Finding Emo, uh, I just want to uh, flag up. I'd like you to describe, please, the uh, glitter cannon joke because yeah. it was my favourite joke that Thank I you. saw in the whole of last year. Thank you. I, uh, it, I'm, I was scared that I was never going to write a better joke than this. Um, yeah, and, and then you can feel the audience thinking, a big claim. It, yeah. bl- it bloody is. Check yeah. this out. <laughs> so basically what I do is, because I was doing the free fringe for the first time last year, uh, I wanted to make quite a statement at, the, at some point. So I thought, oh, I'm going to buy a confetti cannon, like a proper big one, like, and a massive confetti cannon. I had to buy like things that reloaded it every day. And at the start of the show, I'd come out and I'd be like, oh, look, I've bought a confetti cannon. It's amazing. And uh, then I'd give like this button to someone in the audience. And I'd say, look, this is the button that controls the confetti cannon. Set it off when you think is the right time in the show. And uh, and then I just sort of continue with it and all. And then so the whole show, it was about 40 minutes later, I do this bit where I'm like, oh, and then at that point, my friend Steve comes up to me and he says, Joel, I've got prostate cancer. And then the confetti cannon goes off <laughs> at that point. And that's the, the, I set it off at that moment every time. Yes, so and you've Steve has secretly set it off from behind Steve the stage. Behind but the there stage. is an incredible... The first time I saw that show, we laughed for a full minute. Yeah. So he's got prostate cancer. Bang. Everyone looks at this poor woman. <laughs> and then... And then we all gradually catch on that it can't have been her. He set this up, you absolute bastard. Yeah. And it's, it's like 30 seconds there, 30 seconds there. Yeah, it's it was just the longest the punchline ever. Jokes. It was like, great. It was a, it was on, it would be like a minute and a half of like, mainly because it, there was so many perfect components to it. Because uh, first of all, you've said a word like prostate cancer, which is like, ugh. And then it breaks the tension of it with a real fright because it makes a really big bang. So everyone's like, oh, oh. And then they laugh out of like the, oh my God, I'm not. I haven't been shot. And and then then the, it was a big high room, so the, the, the confetti fall they would fall for about 30 seconds. And I would just watch it fall. And so everyone would laugh whilst I'd watch it fall. And when all the confetti had settled, right, then I would just look at the person. And just then that would erupt another laughter as soon as you look at the person, let that die down, and then just go, mate, that was the wrong time. <laughs> and then everyone would laugh again. It was just like... I, I was really worried that I wasn't going to write it because it's so simple. It's so simple. Yeah. And but it was brilliant. But it brought up a really interesting question last year. And I don't know what you think about this. It was really fascinating because 50% of the people who came to watch it would understand that I, that I created that. 50% of the people thought that, it, that that was the point, that like the person had set the button off at that moment and that he was doing that. And so I... Most people would be like, oh, my God, I love the confetti cannon bit. That's amazing. So many people would be like, oh, my God, I came on the night when he set it off at a really awkward time. Oh, my God. And, uh, and it was really odd because it brought up the question of, like, why are we doing stand-up comedy? Are we doing stand-up comedy because we want people to think that we are funny people? Or do we do stand-up comedy because we want people to have a laugh? Yes. Do we l- want to make them laugh or do we want to make them laugh at us? At us. Yeah. And it was so interesting. We really battled over it. And then it, then there was a review that came out where they thought, they were like, oh my God, someone said it off a... Re-. You know, reviewers can be stupid at this festival. <laughs> so it's like, they were like... And so we were like, oh, we were really torn between... And we went back and forth between different ways. And uh, 
And so I started sort of mentioning at the end of the show, I was like, oh, yeah, that's the point where I set the confetti cut on off every night. And um, Steve doesn't have prostate cancer. And that's the part of the show. And um, yeah, it's another lie. Um, but you don't reveal the lie that Steve was never in the band. No. So there's certain... Certain lies that I reveal. Um, and it, it, does that make it worse that you reveal some lies? Because that makes us think you've been totally honest. It's so hard. I don't mean worse. Yeah, you know I, know, I, mean? I know, I know, I know you mean. It's really hard because then this year... And then this is the fascinating thing with Steve getting involved with the show last year. Because yeah. this is the amazing thing, because the whole show is about me getting my band back together, and Steve was involved in that. And Steve became involved in the whole process. I started calling him and talking to him about the show. He was coming to previews with me, and we were just started working on the show every day together, like and calling Steve, each other. Previously, Steve is a composer. He's a composer, he's a musician. has no experience of writing or working with comedians before. The, and over the course of Edinburgh, got, yeah. lived with comedians and got really excited about... And he always loved... Comp- that this is the weird thing. This is the Sorry, thing. Steve, we're just going to discuss We're just going to talk about you in front of your head, mate. Um, and this is the amazing thing. And I think... So I was never the funny guy in school. I was... I was... I was the best friend of the funny guy in school, and Steve was the funny guy in school. Would you consider that correct? I mean, that's an arrogant thing to say. <laughs> but, like, he, he was the guy. He was just, like, funny. And I would, like... Steve would say something really funny, and I would be behind him going, Yeah! You know, that was me. <laughs> And so, you know, I think that happens with a lot of comedians. They're, they're not necessarily the, the, the clown in school. They're yeah, sometimes it's almost the, the, the jealousy, the wanting to be yeah. the funny guy in school is actually more piquant if you're yeah. not the funny guy in school. And so you're actually going to bother putting the effort in exactly. more than the naturally funny person it's not because it's because you want to work out how he does it. Oh, we're so pathetic. The intricacies of it. You're, the one, you're like the one in the, the corner with a notebook, like, <laughs> yeah. going like, how does he do that? And... Um, and so, yeah, so now I write with the funniest person in school. And, and, you, and you don't just write with each other. Just to talk to us a little bit about your daily process you've been doing. Because this is so exciting. This is great. So, so after Edinburgh <laughs> that's, that's last exciting. year... Most of that comes from the infectious <laughs> enthusiasm, with, enthusiasm with, with which you've been describing it to me over the years. I'd like, so I, during Edinburgh last year, we were like, oh, we, should, what, we started thinking about next year during Edinburgh. And which is, we were like, which is great because we were like, now this, you're part of the process now, Steve. This is great. <laughs> you're in. And, uh, and so we decided to start what we call the document. And uh, what we do. Just reassure us, there are no knives in the document. There's no knives in the document, right? So what we do is, and it started off small. So it starts off with uh, an observation, uh, an observation, uh, a, a subversion or a story. And a joke. They started off with those three, I think. That you send to each other. So we basically send a text to each other every single day with those three things in it. And uh, so essentially there's six things every day. And we then put it into a document and with columns that say like um, story, ob- observation, joke. And then that grew to other things like... Uh, uh, what, else, what else did it grow to? Like my metaphors and similes and stuff and and uh, details about particular characters. So, like, we knew my dad was going to be involved in this show, so suddenly we were like, dad things, like a, a thing that a dad would say. And But it's, it was so good. And every day we do this, we usually, we, now we do it one month on, one month off. Okay. And then we put all these things in the document, and some of them are shit, obviously. So over the week, and during the text, you know, so, so it's, I, I can't even think I've got one, but um, so you might have an observation like, oh, isn't it hard to get... Uh, the thread through the eye of a needle, right? And then you would be like, okay, that's an observation. Then a story would be like, oh, I've got this mental barber who, 
who is a gangster and I'm really scared of him and then tell that story and then um, the joke would be you know you'd re- and then the, the, which is fascinating because I'd never written jokes like that before so it was just for fun oh we did a diary entry as well so every day we do diary entry which became like a literally like it was a truth that was what it was and so the truth and if that, that was really I became our way of talking to each other <laughs> okay. because it would be the truth it would be like oh my god today uh, my girlfriend said this and it was really weird and then uh, I broke up with my girlfriend today and, um, and so that was there began. and this became this huge document with like hundreds of things in it and then what we do is what I do do is then highlight all of the ones which I felt were good okay and then write all those in my book and then I would go to a new material night and just go through those ones that I highlighted okay and then the ones that worked take off and take them the next So you stage. basically formalized the process of your French the creative elements of your friendship. Yeah. It's like it's like um it's like a car factory. It's like a like of a, 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 I'm not comparing myself to a sports car, but I watched a really nice documentary about the Bugatti Veyron the other day. And they go through this like um a process of like making sure it's perfect essentially so they start off and they make sure it's like like this it's like an okay shape and then the next day they they sand it off go to the next one and they sand it off and they, so it's like when it gets into the edinburgh show it's you know it's good because it's been through yes. a massive process yes. of being okay. sort of like and all the rubbish ones have been thrown okay okay so let, let's just stay for a second with this idea of the truth and let's just talk about the the I don't want to say the ethics of it. I'm not imprinting on you anything that it's yeah, a bad idea. I but I, was, I spoke. We had a. I did this podcast with Tom Rigglesworth once, and we had mm. a similar conversation whereby I I felt I felt a bit gutted when I loved your show last year and found out that elements of it weren't true. I was like, yeah. Joel, you're playing with my emotions. People really, and it's in, it's interesting. Um, I think I'm going to do a true one next year. Or I will can't I? believe it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, will I? I, um, I can't um, believe Because I think that's what I need to do next yes. for me to be a better comedian, I think. Okay, because well, because you've given yourself so much license that anything could happen. Yeah. That it's almost like you need to impose the condition of the truth. Yeah, and I think that's what I need to do to be better next. Like, because if you if you already know the, the tricks of how to yeah. make something end in a satisfying way, yeah. you've and, learned that. And it, it, essentially, that's what makes stand-up beautiful in, in many ways, is that, um, you know, it's supposed to be a bit more soulful about you and it's you bearing a soul on stage. And it's, but I just love, I just fucking love stories. Like, I love yeah. it. And, and there's, no, there's no rule book that says stand-ups have to tell the absolute truth. No, absolutely, absolutely not. not. But it's also, you know, you can go, you can go many different ways. You can... We, we, so we were talking about Edinburgh next year. We were like, okay, you can have a choice of three ways, essentially. You can tell the truth. You can set yourself a quest and talk about that. Or you can tell lies. And if you tell lies, it, I think now, this is what I have, would have to do. If you were to tell lies make people know that it's lies yes. like in the way that Acaster does in a way you know yes. you know that he's not been on a jury, jury sure. you know stuff like that um so i think that's what i need to do next but that's that's what i really like doing i guess a lovely process of mine I, I like is that hopefully you do a show and then you go what do i need to do next year to be better and that's why i love edinburgh because i'm like i think uh, i like, 
you don't want to make the same album again and again and again. Yes. That's where you really don't. Me and Steve loved this band called 100 Reasons when we were kids. Uh, they had a great album called Ideas Above Your Station. It was really good. And it was such a good first album. And their second album was just as good, but it was the same. And nobody bought it, and it was terrible. Because you're like, I might as well listen to the first album. Sure. And so we try our best as a partnership now to try and in the next album to try and be you but different and take yourself somewhere different and interesting you one of the things you did in your show last year for all of the elements of the story that were embroidered or fabrications or what have you there was a lot of truth there was a lot of real truth so i wanted to talk about limelight yeah so just describe to us the song Limelight and so, tell us about that. Was that was that true? Yeah, it's true, it's true. That's so the thing tell us what that is, because I want to get into this, just briefly spend a bit of time in this area of the other thing you do, or another thing that you do very well, which is to really reveal the awful, true dorkiness of you. Yeah. Like, you're very good at being honest in a way that I would find it almost impossible to do on stage, <laughs> to, like, read from one's teenage diary or... In your case, play us a song that you recorded when you were a teenager. Yeah. That is, I mean, I'm not going to use the word cock awful. (laughs) Tell tell us about the song. Um, I uh, wrote a song and recorded a song on my laptop when I was, uh, I say I was 16, but I was 20. And, uh, and... It's pathological. Uh, it's, and, uh, and so, and it's terrible. It's terrible. It's like me rapping. It's a rap song. And uh, at one point I say, um, that's what you get for wanting the limelight. The lime is bitter, but the light is bright. <laughs> it's an amazing song. It's, it's so terrible. And I play, it, I play it in the middle. But that's the thing about my show. Like, maybe the weaving of the story is untrue, and I might sort of fabricate that. But the, all of the, I like to think all of the elements in it are true. Like in this year's show, it's definitely fabricated, but the elements of it are true in terms of you know, the diary entry, like all of the bits. All of the diary entries are true. All the diary entries are true. Because I remember us talking about this before, about the first time you read from your diary on stage. Yeah. That must be... What, was, was that, what did that feel like? I mean, it was absolutely horrendous. A horrendous feeling. But, like, secretly, you're like, this is really funny. <laughs> 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 uh, this is really funny. Um, so, it's, yeah, and it's... So that's that's all true, you know. Like this has been my show about listening to Les Mis in the in my car. I had like a massive subwoofer in my car, and it was really loud. I had this big sort of boy racer car. We used to listen to Les Mis in it, and that's all true. That's all true. Um, but weirdly, those are the bits that people don't believe, and yes, people okay. do believe the bits that I've made up. <laughs> okay. Um, is there is there something as well? I'm wondering about about what is satisfying to an audience. Yeah. Because something that I know, uh, I had a conversation with Adam Bloom backstage at the uh, at London's Comedy Store. Clang. <laughs> um, we were chatting. He was getting frustrated. Adam Bloom, is, as you know, you know Adam. Um, he's an incredible joke writer, but he thinks in such a technical, mathematical way about jokes that he gets, I've seen him on more than one occasion, get very frustrated if a joke that someone is saying on stage doesn't make mathematical Mm. sense or factual sense he'll say no you can't say that because you haven't set up that yeah that joke doesn't work and you'll go but adam everyone's laughing and you'll go, it doesn't matter yeah and i wonder whether there is i remember a conversation with him where he was talking about someone on stage who was doing uh, who was doing a very funny story about a crazy thing they heard a person say and i think we're familiar with that trope of contemporary stand-up comedy someone saying and then this bloke in the street turned around and said the funniest thing i've ever heard mm. and 
And Adam's point was, that doesn't work as a joke because the thing itself, no one was there. That's not a thing that people say. You're not taking something with which we're all familiar and finding a truth in it that we haven't noticed yet. You're just, not you, but this person is simply repeating a crazy thing they heard that for all we know they've made up. That's the thing. It's like, I I really feel like I've got better as a comic because that is something I definitely used to do. And I still dip into it every now and again. But I think you've got... I think it should be funny in itself. It shouldn't have to feel like it happened. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you go like, oh, this person said this, and then someone said the craziest thing I've ever heard. And everyone's like, oh, my God, that'd be so funny if that happened. Um, I think it has to be better than that, in a way. Does that make sense? I I feel like I've really improved in the last couple of years. Um, Through this document and through Steve and through just, like, being better. Um, <laughs> just, like, I've been really... Joel never went to university. No. <laughs> <laughs> the, other, the other day, the other day of my show, I said the word astute, and I realised I didn't know what it meant. And, <laughs> I, and then I was like, I think that astute means you're intelligent. Or, uh, it's a sort of a perfect joke you've stumbled on. It's a perfect yeah. joke I've stumbled upon. I think, I think that's ironic. <laughs> uh, I, I was like, what does irony mean? And, um, uh, but... Uh, uh, I think this is what I I find. So so people in the pub who talk to you in the pub, like say someone at the pub who talks to you, he's like the funny guy at the pub. It's your job as a comedian to be funnier than him because this is our job. And you've just got to be funnier than... Like some guy can just tell a story. Like it's our job to be better than that and like look into the intricacies of it and put in the work and find those observations which people are like, yes, and make detailed story. If you're going to make up... For me, if I make up a story and it's not true, it has to be fucking brilliant now. Yeah. Which I think I used to be like, oh, I was on a bicycle and I fell off and someone said this and I said, and everyone would laugh because it's convenient and it feels like a funny thing that someone would say. Yeah. Whereas now I like to think that hopefully people would look at me and be like, oh, maybe that's made up, but it's, maybe it's allowed because it's, he's clearly put a lot of work and e- okay. effort into it. I don't know whether I'm justifying it, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm really good at comedy, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, we, will, we will wrap up, we'll wrap up. But before we do, I want to ask you two of my, uh, my favourite uh, ComCom questions. Uh, one is to, very briefly, uh, if you were a reviewer watching yourself what would your honest review of Joel Domit be? Um, just quieting down a bit, I think. <laughs> I think sometimes I can be overly energetic to sort of... Sometimes when I'm not really enjoying myself, I falsify enjoyment by being like, oh, my God, I'm having so much fun! <laughs> and I would just be like, just tone that down a little bit, mate. Okay. I think that's what I would say, um, and uh, and and yeah, that's be. Yeah, I think I'd say, and I in a t-shirt. <laughs> and finally, then, and I'm really sorry we, we have to stop this, but this has been great, and there's loads more to say. So let's do it. Let's do another one sometime as yeah, well. Of course. Um, but what would you have? This is my favourite closing question du jour. What would you have on your comedy gravestone? Oh. You can interpret that however you want. Um, what would I have my my gravestone? Well, like your final message to comedy. Um, um, I tried really hard and hopefully people thought I was okay at it. 
That's lovely. Thanks, Joel. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the wonderful Joel Domit. Thank you, man. Thank you. So that was Joel. Thank you to him for coming on the show. Thanks to Megan Pugh. I haven't mentioned Megan very much. She helped me with all of the live episodes in uh, in uh, Edinburgh. And thanks to Black Medicine and uh, PBH's Free Fringe for giving us the facility to put the show on there and, and making it free. Uh, thanks to Nathan for editing the show. Thanks to you for listening. Uh, if you don't fancy supporting the show by uh, making a, a monthly subscription payment, a one-off donation via the website, or indeed buying a T-shirt, then you can support the show in other ways that are free to you. You can come onto the iTunes page uh, and you can give us a five-star review. That really helps uh, let people know we're legit and it, uh, it means more people find out about it. Or you can go to the specific page. Now there is uh, comedianscomedian.com. You can click on the individual episodes and you can click on the, the page for this episode and you can converse on the uh, the comments form underneath. Uh, that's uh, useful to me to know what people like and don't like about the show. I mean, let's keep it positive, guys. Um, but uh, you can also take that link and stick it on people's Facebook pages and go, hey, you're a big fan of Matt Lucas. Have you heard this? Or you're obviously a massive Joel Domit fan. Have you heard this? And you can s- s- scatter it around the internet and uh, tweet it to people and things like that. So uh, please do. I, I At LA, where you'll be hearing all four of those, ep- four of those interviews over six episodes as of next week, uh, I discovered loads of really exciting podcast related things and ways that you can get involved with sharing the show and quite fun things there's a there's a bit of software i'm going to look into which allows uh, you to listen to a show clip out your own favorite 18 second clip of it and then tweet that at people so i'm going to be monkeying around with that i might uh, i might assemble a team of you who uh, if you fancy doing that when you listen to the shows uh, to chuck it about the place yeah, that's quite a good idea actually why don't i crowdsource that with uh, with you legends Right, that's enough for now. Back to the drawing board. Back to the admin. Uh, Thank you for listening. And uh, I think that's everything I've got to say. I'll speak to you next week with the first one, which will be Jackie Cation. She of dorkforest.com, the Dork Forest podcast, uh, where she gets, I mean, it's it's the nerdiest thing you're ever going to have heard of, but she is an excellent comedian and we'll find out more from her soon, beginning next week. Thanks for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.